Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. I want you here at the start, I want you to recall a time with me when you sought to subdue something that was beyond your control. So just think about an example of that in your life for a second. Recall a time when you sought to subdue something that in reality was beyond your control. For instance, I saw a woman in my neighborhood recently attempt to walk what I at least believed was a dog, but was really more like a mid-sized SUV. This thing was massive. So she had this dog collared and leashed, but it was evident to everyone, including the dog, that she was not in control at all. He was way out in front of her. He was clearly walking at his own pace. He was dragging her like a rag doll as she kind of bounced along behind him. And he ignored every stern command that she gave him. Like you could almost see in this dog's eyes, every time she would tell him to slow down or, or to, to come back, he would just look at her and be like, for real? Like, how long are we going to keep up this charade? We both know that you are not in control in, of this experience at all. And so I want you to recall a time like that when you sought to subdue something that was beyond your control. So it could be that the example that comes to mind for you is something very simple. Like maybe there's a time that you've tried to lift something that was just too heavy for you. Maybe you tried to uh, cook something, a recipe that was beyond your skill level, which for me is literally anything. (laughs) Maybe you tried to solve a problem around your house that in hindsight you had no business attempting. So maybe the example that comes to mind as you think about this is something very simple like that. Um, Maybe it's it's even funny now that it's over in hindsight. Maybe not in the moment, but now that it's over, it's funny. But it could be that what comes to mind is something that is far more serious. Like maybe what comes to mind is an addiction of some kind. Maybe you've tried and failed to stop, stop using some substance that has power over you and you've become dependent on. Maybe you've failed to end a relationship that is poisonous, but you just can't seem to muster the courage or the will to break it off despite the destructive nature of it. So I want you to recall a time when you sought to subdue something that was just simply beyond your control. Now, as you recall that experience... My guess is that if you sit in that long enough, there are also specific emotional memories that come with it as well. So you may have felt some amount of embarrassment, even shame, that you could not handle this yourself. Maybe you felt frustrated or angry. You probably felt some degree of fear or anxiety, knowing that you were not, in fact, in control. In these more serious cases, you probably felt some degree of genuine powerlessness, which can lead to feelings of desperation, even despair. See, when we seek to subdue something that is beyond our control and we fail, we are usually filled with an ocean of negative emotion. But the reality is, the problem is not those emotions. The problem is the pride 
that attempts to subdue something that is beyond one's control. And never is that more true than when it comes to our speech. And so last week, we started what for us is a two-part message on the problem of the tongue. And so if you've watched that or you were here for that, you remember that we are studying the first 12 verses of James 3 in which James draws our attention to this big idea. The tongue has corrupting power beyond our control. The tongue, our speech, it has corrupting power that is beyond our control. And we have to acknowledge both parts of this reality, that the tongue does in fact have corrupting power, that our, our, our speech is not just a tool for good, that it is in fact a weapon that we wield and do great destructive things with. And so it is a corrupting power and it's beyond our control. We have to acknowledge both parts of that. Otherwise, the way that we come at this problem will result in failure. As we talked about last week, nothing has the power to both connect and divide like words. And while God intends speech to be a source of creating and caring and connecting, it's more often a source of damage, destruction, and division. And this is the inevitable reality of trying to tame the tongue alone. We are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit's help, and as such, we have to practice active dependence on him in this task. And so part of the way that the Holy Spirit does in fact help us is he gives us sobering insight into the scope of the problem that we're up against, which is largely what James is trying to do in James chapter 3. And so last week, we learned that uh, speech is the definitive metric for maturity. So spiritual maturity is not measured by spiritual disciplines alone or Bible knowledge alone. What we speak and how we speak often says far more about our spiritual maturity than what we recognize. And so now as we come back to our text this morning, here's the second insight that James gives us. Number two is this, speech is a small tool with tremendous power. Speech is a small tool with tremendous power. So look with me back at James chapter 3. Let's come back uh, and we'll drop in at verse 3. James says this, Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, James says, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Now, here's what informs James' train of thought here. Remember, he's just made the claim in verse 2 that the power of the tongue is so significant that if you can control it, you could control everything in your life. So just... Like, stop and consider the size of that. That's a massive claim. That if you could control your speech, you could literally control every single part of your life and body. That's a massive claim. And so James anticipates skepticism and even opposition to that claim. He assumes that his readers will take that claim and they're going to think, come on, James. Like, how could that honestly be? How can it be that something as small as my tongue is capable of such tremendous power? And so then James gives three examples of small things wielding big-time power. He describes a bit in the mouth of a horse, a small rudder steering a ship, 
and a tiny spark setting a forest on fire. And his point is that life is filled with examples of small things wielding tremendous power. In fact, I was thinking about it this week, and and we are experiencing a sobering example of this right now, living in the midst of a pandemic. Here's an image of COVID-19 that the vast majority of us have probably seen at some point on the news or in an article of some kind. But I want you to just think about how crazy it is that something that is literally microscopic, imperceptible to the human naked eye, how it can wield such power. This tiny virus that you cannot see just with your eyes has made millions of people sick and it has killed hundreds of thousands. And despite that power, it's so small, you can't even see it. And so here's the lesson that James is driving home for us. Something's size doesn't always reflect the scope of its strength. Something's size doesn't always reflect the scope of its strength. Just because the tongue is small doesn't mean that it is not directing our lives. I mean, think about it. Uh, Relationships have ended because of words spoken. Jobs have been lost because of words that have been spoken. All it takes is a tweet to incite a riot. Or think about what is right now being referred to as cancel culture. So most often, a celebrity or a politician voices a controversial or overtly wrong opinion, and as a result, they are boycotted and shunned. And, and, and sometimes they lose everything, all because of the words that they have spoken. And my point in this is not to affirm cancel culture. In fact, I think it's grossly hypocritical and generally arrogant behavior. But my point is, even though our words may seem small, they still direct our entire lives. Sometimes something's size does not reflect the scope of its strength. Now, notice how James gets crystal clear in verse 6 about just how powerful the negative effects of our speech are. Look with me at verse 6. James goes on, he says, The tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So again, James floods these verses with metaphors. But his point is just to say that speech has the power to destroy your entire life and the lives of those around you. Now just just consider the nature of that reality. The truth is we have probably all experienced some version of this in our lives firsthand. My guess is every single one of us has a handful of hurtful sentences that have been said to us that we have never forgotten. Agreed? I'll give you one somewhat silly but very real example from my own life. When I was in fifth grade, I went to a small private school in Virginia, and my uh, school rented an entire skating rink, and we had a school-wide roller skating party, and I got to tell you, it was awesome. My outfit was on point. My skills on the wheels were on display. The problem was I was a fifth-grade boy, and I don't know how many fifth-grade boys that you know, but uh, I was a pest. 
Uh, I live with a fifth grade boy. They are inherently annoying. They can't even help it. It's just the stage you go through. And so that's where I was this night. And I was, despite my moves, still very, very obnoxious. And uh, there were these two older girls that I'd been pestering for a bit. We'll just label it as a bit. <laughs> and uh, if I remember correctly, what I was doing was like they were skating together as friends, wanting nothing to do with me, and I would skate between them, which is maybe the most obnoxious thing you could possibly do to two people. And so um, I rem if I remember correctly, yeah, that's what I kept. I kept skating between them, and I remember the very last time that I skated between them. And I skated up ahead, and I will never forget one of these two girls calling out, you've got a big butt. Now, I'm going to turn 40 in just a few months. I still remember the shame of this sentence being spoken over me. I've never, I remember exactly where I was. I just remember feeling like I wanted to die in this moment. And so... Some of us have sentences like that, where the older we get, the less they sting. Like maybe we can even learn to laugh about them. But the truth is that much of what's been spoken over us and much of what we have spoken other, over others is no laughing matter. I've spent hours over the last month, or the, over the last nine months processing with God, with my wife, with my friends, with my therapist, with my spiritual director, words that have been spoken over me and have shaped the course of my life. And some of them have been used to build me up and some of them have been used to severely wound me. And I've spent years as a pastor helping other people process the words that have been spoken over them and shaped the course of their lives. And in all of this, you know what I've learned? What I've learned is that there may be no greater fallacy than the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That sentence is pure trash. Because the reality is, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will shatter your soul. Words have a devastating power to direct the entire course of your life. And according to James, this type of damaging speech comes from Satan himself. So there really is no debating the power of our tongues. And this is why James makes the point that he does. Whoever tames the tongue controls their life. Now, if you're like just slightly broken in the way that I am, you might hear that from James and receive that like a challenge. So, so maybe you misunderstand James' point or you hear him and think, oh, okay, well, if I can tame my tongue, there's nothing I can't do, so I'm going to go after that. I'm going to learn to control my speech. And if that's you, please do not miss the next two verses. Look at verse 7. He says, Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But, listen to this, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James says that the one thing that can't be tamed in this world is the human tongue. So it's like James is a big fan of massive claims. He says virtually every creature has been tamed or trained by both big and small. I mean, think about it. Like we've trained mice to run obstacle courses, whales 
to jump out of tanks and lions to jump through hoops. The human ability to tame and train animals is amazing. I, like, I can't tell, I'm, I'm amazed that we ever taught our dog, Wicket, to not pee in the house. Like, that is one of the great claims of pride that I have in my life, is that somehow we figured that out. Because we adopted him when he was a puppy, and early on, I remember thinking, there's no way this dog is ever going to stop peeing in the house. We even bought these uh, paper mats that smelled like compost that were supposed to attract him to the mat. And so as a puppy, we would take him and we would put him on the mat and he would look at us and he would step off the mat and he would pee right next to it in the house. He just wanted nothing. It was like just this demoralizing demonstration of his own will. Yet somehow, over time, as we kept working with him, he figured it out and he doesn't go in the house anymore. And so in that sense, and really just that sense, he has been tamed or trained. Now James' point is that even though there's virtually no animal that you cannot tame, you, you simply can't seem to stop gossiping. Even though there's like nothing, no animal in this world that cannot be taught to obey in, in, in various fashions, we just can't seem to stop complaining or lying or lashing out with our words. The one thing that no human has ever completely tamed is the tongue, which is why the tongue is referred to by James in verse 8 as a restless evil. That word restless means unstable or unpredictable. Just when you think, have you noticed that like just type, when you think you have your speech under control, you, you say something or you, like, that you just can't, you're like, why did I say that? I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. It's a restless evil. We celebrated the 4th of July over at uh, Matt and Megan Bourne's house, and, uh, and Matt Bourne and Pastor Tyler put on a fireworks show that was like Disney-worthy. It was unbelievable. There was a small fiasco in the middle, <laughs> and this is what happened. So Matt and Tyler had separated the two types of fireworks. There's two types, right? There's the kind that's like and just like sparks. And then there's the kind that shoots like a missile into the air. So Matt was shooting those off of the top of his garage, which is a great idea. <laughs> and Tyler was on the ground with the like the sparkling ones on top of a ladder. That's an important detail. Now, somewhere along the way, there was a miscommunication, and, and the two kinds got switched. And somehow, Tyler ended up with one of these that shot up into the air unknowingly. So as this, there was a box of these that he lot that we thought, shh, that's what was going to happen. But it didn't. It shot into the air very high. Then, like, we're like, okay, everything's okay. It's going to be all right. The box fell over and shot directly into the garage. And then, like a heat-seeking missile, the box began to turn toward those of us watching, firing missile after missile after missile into those of us watching. My wife grabbed one of the born girls like this and just full-blown... Did not look back to see if I was okay, if our kids were, she was gone with the closest kids she could grab. So there was this moment where you think like, this is under control, everything is fine, and then all of a sudden, it is not. And our speech is like that, where we think, I've got this under control, I'm going to honor God, I'm going to honor people in the way that I speak about, and then just something happens, and you snap. I experienced that this week. Fine, 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 not fine, and I snapped. 
And it's very, very sobering. And I think that's the effect that these verses should have on our hearts. Deeply sobering humility. Because as James has said, words are like fire. And fire has many constructive and necessary benefits, but it is also immensely dangerous. And so as a result, we are careful and we are intentional with it. We're not careless with fire because we know the damage that can come from it. And so James' intent is to help us learn that same humility when it comes to our words. They are immensely dangerous. And so we have to be incredibly careful. Furthermore, we can't control them ourselves, so we're intentional about practicing dependence on the Holy Spirit's help. And as we finish out these last few verses, I want you to notice the all-too-common example that James gives of how our speech goes wrong almost daily. So James teaches us this third point. He says, speech is not meant to both bless and curse. Our speech is not meant to both bless and curse. Look at verse 9. Now with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. So, This section that James closes with, he closes by holding up what may be the chief example of the restless, unstable, and unpredictable evil that consumes our speech. We are double-tongued, meaning that we praise God in one breath, and then we can curse people in the next. Now, cursing in ancient cultures was very significant, It was uh, not just to speak in a disparaging manner, but it was to wish, almost even pray, that God would shame or cut off another person from himself. And so knowing that, you might think, well, good, I'm not doing that, which may be true, but here's something similar, similar that we do do that is just as deplorable. We use our speech in spaces like this to worship Jesus through song. Or we make professions of faith and then we use the very same tongues to gossip, to complain, and to slander. And so James emphatically states these things should not be this way. And here's why. Cursing those who are created in God's image is akin to cursing God himself. Cursing those who are created in God's image is akin to cursing God himself. Think about it like this. I've got three kids, as most of you know, Ava, Ryder, and Lincoln, and they, um, they all look like me in certain ways, and they behave like me in different ways because they all came from me. Tammy and I created them. And if you don't know how that works, there's a different sermon that I will teach on that at a time that will not be this morning. <laughs> are we uncomfortable? I don't, I don't feel like I've done my job unless we're all a little uncomfortable at least one time. So, so let's say that you and I uh, are sharing a meal together and, uh, and you decide to be very intentional about your encouragement and you try to uh, compliment me in a, in a couple of different ways. So you say, I just want you to know I'm very thankful for you and um, I really appreciate everything that you do for our church and your preaching helps me know God more and contrary to what you were told at that fifth grade roller skating party, your butt is perfectly proportional to your body, okay? So stuff like that that you choose to say. <sighs> I'd be thankful in that moment, especially for the last one, and, uh, and blessed by that. But, <laughs> 
No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) What if in the next breath you say, I do, however, hate your kids? Like dinner's going to get like uber awkward in that moment, right? You're like, they're just so loud and they don't think the way that I do and they don't do what I want them to do and they're just a lot of work. I just do not like your kids. How do you think I'm going to feel about that? Do you honestly think I care at all about your previous compliments and encouragement? Like not even a little bit. You know why? Because criticizing them cuts me. And so think about how much more it must cut the heart of God when we disparage those who are created in his image and deeply loved by him beyond any ability of ours to understand. Like you might hate your boss, but God loves her. And you might hate your parents, and God loves them. And you might hate President Trump or Joe Biden, pick your poison. God loves them both. And you may slander Democrats or Republicans online, but God loves them both. And you may be willing to label those who say Black Lives Matters as liberal Marxist. Or you may condemn those who will not voice that statement as racist bigots. But make no mistake, God loves them both. You may despise and slander those who are different than you, who differ from you in any and every way, but make no mistake, every single one of them are created in the image of God. They are inherently worthy of dignity and respect, and they are more loved by God than we can possibly conceive. And so our speech, even when we are being critical of a conviction or a stance or a behavior that is unmoral or is kingdom contrary to how God wants the world to function, even when we are being critical about those things. We do so with care and we do so with love because those we speak about are image bearers of God. And so as we close this morning, I want you to notice how James summarizes why these things shouldn't be. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from that same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. So next week, we're going to study some of Jesus' own teaching on words, and they are remarkably similar to what James just said. So Jesus said that a good heart will produce good fruit, and that an evil heart will produce evil fruit. And in the exact same vein, James says here that a fresh spring won't produce salt water and a fig tree won't produce olives and a grapevine is not going to produce figs. And so the point is this, our words are a reflection of Christ's redeeming work in our lives. Our words are a reflection of Christ's redeeming work in our lives. So the question is, what do our words reflect? More and more, do my words reflect the fruit of a transformed heart? And so this is what makes our speech such an effective metric for spiritual maturity. 
because maturing in Christ is about transformation of the heart. It's not about just an adjustment of behavior. It's about being completely changed from the inside out. Anyone can learn theology. It's easy to memorize Bible facts. Even the religious disciplines of spiritual practice can be adopted with time and effort. But because our speech flows from our heart, as we will see from Jesus next week, only he can produce this change in us. So a tamed tongue is the work of God alone. And so here's the thing. If you survey the fruit of your words and you see a pattern of destruction, the solution is not just to be more careful. We should be careful with our words, absolutely. But if what you see, when you think about your words over the last week or two weeks, if you see what I would call a pattern of destruction, the solution is not just to be more careful. Like, like maybe your words have a pattern of burning down relationships. Maybe when you look back over the last couple of weeks at what you've posted on social media, it is just honestly poisonous in tone. Maybe even right, like we talked about last week, but poisonous in tone. Maybe you consider the internal dialogue happening in your own heart and mind, and it is negative and demoralizing to you. Like maybe for the most part, your words are not burning down anything out there, but everything in here. If you survey the fruit of your words and you see a pattern of destruction, the solution is not to just be more careful. The solution is to seek a transformed heart. The most tragic way to process what we are going to learn through this series is to make it about self-help. If self-help were truly a thing, we would not need a savior. See, the sobering truth is you can't fix you. And you can't heal you. And you can't transform you. But the good news is, Jesus can. So even though the tongue has corrupting power that is beyond our control, it doesn't have power beyond his. And so the question is, have you surrendered your heart to Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and trusted Jesus by faith. Believing that Jesus Christ, God the Son, stepped into human history, that he lived the perfect life that you and I could not, never failing in his speech, not one time, never failing in any way, even one time. And then humility and mercy and compassion chose to take every one of your failures upon his shoulders and to die on a cross in your place, a death that you deserved, that you earned. But he chose to die for you. And then three days later, rose again, defeating our enemies of sin and death. And so he invites us now not to be good enough because we never can, not to do enough because we never will, but to simply surrender to him by faith, believing that he did all of that in our place. And we just seek to live in relationship with him by grace, through faith, and slowly 
as the Holy Spirit helps us, we learn to follow his way. And so if you have not done that, make no mistake, the first step in beginning to tame our tongues is that. Because you can't do it yourself. You need Jesus to do that for you. And if you are watching or listening or here this morning and you've already done that, then let's pray and let's ask that Jesus would continue to transform us from the inside out because that's ultimately what you need, what we need. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we, we come to so many passages in the Bible and we feel what we feel right now, which is this sobering humility. So I thank you, Lord, for the way that you can use a text like James 3 to help us understand just how powerful, how potentially dangerous, and how beyond our control our speech truly is. Father, we acknowledge, because of what you have taught us over the last two weeks, that we can't tame our tongues by ourselves, and our lives prove that. And so would you flood our hearts and minds with humility right now? And I pray for everyone watching and listening. God, help us to see that we are not capable of doing what you have called us to here in the taming of our tongues. And so rather than continue to function in pride where we seek to subdue something that is beyond our control, or rather than being discouraged and despairing and just simply giving up, saying, what's the point? I pray, God, that you would wrap our hearts around yours and that you would help us to surrender to the work that you want to do. Lord, would you change us? Help us not to listen to these last two weeks and the weeks to come and to hear them as some sort of outside-in message where if we can fix these external things, then that will change our hearts to be good enough for you. God, help us to see how contrary to your word that is. That your invitation to us is to surrender our hearts and minds to you by faith. And you begin this transforming work in us that makes obedience possible. So Holy Spirit, would you do that work in all of us? We know that you can. And so I ask that you would. We pray this in Jesus' name.